Uh, good morning. It's a good morning, quite literally, right? Um, I had an interesting thing happen to me last night. Uh, I needed some cotton balls for a game in the kids today and didn't get them earlier in the week. And um, I thought, I'll go get the cotton balls and I'll just kind of run over the message for today one more time. In my head as I do that and as I was beginning to run through it, I just felt the, the presence of God basically saying, that's not for today. So this was at, I think, 8.30 p.m. last night, and I thought, that, oh, that's cool, Lord. That's really cool, God. So what is for today? So we have no slides because there are no slides for today because this was something on God's heart that I, don't, I can't really tell you why he chose to shake it up, but I love when he does. And I want to know that I'm sharing with you the word of the Lord, and I can say with a lot of confidence that this is the word of the Lord for today. Um, and, and so... Yeah, so today is week three of our On Mission series where we're talking about this book, The Path. We're talking about creating a mission for your own life. And I just want to give you a quick catch up for those of you guys that have missed the first two before we jump in for today. Two weeks ago, we started this series and we talked about how important it is to have a mission in your life, right? We talked about the myths of a mission statement. We talked about what a mission even is. And then last week, we talked about being and then doing and how everything in life flows out of this beautiful place of when we are being ourselves in the presence of God, our assignment, our appointment flows out of that. You can catch both of those messages on the podcast if you didn't hear them and you want to catch up. And today, we're talking about how your mission is necessary. It's necessary for the earth. I believe that this... Um, word today is something that is genuinely beating like out of God's heart on a really powerful and, and intense way. It's something that I can tell you has been sort of the theme of my life and so I can testify that this journey is not only worth going down but also deeply fulfilling and rewarding in ways that you could never imagine. And I want to start by saying that if you call Bethel OKC your home church, if this is where God has put you to be, then this series is for you. God was reminding me of how, you know, in this day and age, we have um, at our fingertips, thanks to the internet, we have the best resources out there. You can access the greatest theologians of our day. You can access the greatest preachers, the greatest, um, you know, ministers, the greatest worship leaders, the, the top 10 talent people, right? And so we're being fed from all these different places, and that's good, and we should take advantage of that. It's an amazing time to be alive. But there's something about the local church that can't be reproduced on the internet. There's something about the local church, Bill Hybels coined this term, I believe, in the early 90s, where he said the local church is the hope of the world. It is. What's happening when we gather together under one direction, under one vision, so to speak, is we gather together and we say, God, for us, what are you saying? See, for us, as a collective, we're all believers, you can get any of that on the internet, and you should. And I don't want to diss that because it's good, right? There's, there's seasons that God takes you in where you need to glean from someone different than you. And, and I support that and encourage that. But there's something about when the first church in Acts gathered around, it says in Acts 2, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because those apostles were so spectacular? Maybe, but also because God was speaking to those people what's for you. And so they were gathered around the apostles' teaching because the apostle was saying, this is what you need in your life. A podcast from a church in a different state can't give you that because they don't know you, right? And they're hearing from God what God is saying for the people that are in their sphere to impact. And thank goodness it impacts us as well. But there's something specific when we gather as a local church and we say, Lord, this is your word for this season. And I bring that up because I felt like God wanted me to challenge you that this is your word for this season. 
This is what God wants for you in this time frame. So as we talk about, if, you're, if you call Bethel OKC your church family, then it's important for you to pay attention to this mission thing. It's not just a good idea. It's not like Grant and I were brainstorming one afternoon and going, what comes up? What's a catchy sermon we could do, right? I mean, God bless you if that's how you come up with your teachings, but we always go, God, what is on your heart? What do we need to have incorporated in our life? And when God says, you're, because I was going to, let me just be honest, okay? I told McCovey this the other day. You know, The Greatest Showman, anybody not seen it is probably the better way to put it. If you haven't seen it, you might be committing some sort of a low-grade sin, right? I'm totally kidding. Um, but I can tell you that in the first two seconds of this movie, I was completely enraptured in a way I haven't been in a long time. It's a musical, so, you know, spoiler alert. If you don't like musicals, you may not enjoy it. But there was something about this movie that through the whole thing, my heart was just beating. And we took some of our kids, and, and I mean, like, by the time we left, Callie was already asking, when can we go back, Mom? And every day, multiple times a day, Mom, we have to go back to this movie. The last time that happened was with Frozen. And we did go see Frozen a second time because it felt like this epic message. And interestingly enough, it's sort of the same theme if you really think about it. But The Greatest Showman has this amazing song, right, that this is me, right? And she's, the bearded woman comes out in all of her pride and she's just like, I don't care. I'm making no apologies. This is me. And every time I hear that song, I'm just like, yes, Lord. And thank you, God, that I'm not a bearded woman. But yes, Lord, this is me. And so I had the thought, we should call this series, This Is Me, because ultimately what's happening in this series is you discovering the real you. So I'm like, I'm just picturing in my imagination us all doing the dance and coming out and, you know, and this is me and I'm making no apologies. And God goes, <clears throat> I called this series On Mission. He's like, okay, Lord. I even looked up, can you get the greatest showman font? And I found the font and I put it on my computer and started brainstorming. How can we make a, you know, this is me series? And the Lord kept going, no, Rachel, <laughs> so sweet. It's on mission. And I say that to say that God has this in his heart for you. This isn't just a fun idea. This isn't something that's like, well, you know, how should we spend our Sundays? Well, I don't know. Let's talk about mission statement. That sounds cool. But we're doing this because God sees all of you. He sees right where you're at. And he says, this is the most important thing we can do with our time. And so what I want to say to you is, in light of the fact that the local church is the hope of the world, I want to invite you to be here. And I thank you for being here on this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning. Because there's an interesting statistic happening in the church world today where Sunday morning attendance is declining faster than ever before. I think part of it is the internet at your fingertips and you can get you know, amazing resources any time of the week. So that's awesome. And uh, so that's one factor. Uh, but I think another factor that's happening here is I think that one of the things that's happening is that people are now experiencing something of God that can come from the internet. But I want to venture to say that how can you truly experience all that God has to offer if you're not here participating? Right? So I want to invite you to make this a priority, especially if this is what you call your church home. Make it a priority in your schedule. I mean, I get it. Life is busy. There's Sundays that I wake up and think, this isn't my first choice. If I'm being truly honest in my flesh, if I'm feeling tired, if I've got a sick kid, whatnot, you know. But there's a, a thing that we have decided decades ago where we just put it in our heart. The local church is the hope of the world, and it is vital for us to build that into our family. There, you know, we look at, we've done a lot of youth ministry. We did a decade of youth ministry. So we've seen firsthand how families will sometimes prioritize sports over church because why do these coaches pick tournaments on Sundays? You know why? Because enough Christians haven't said, we're not coming. 
you know, my kid's your star player. Well, they're not going to be there, and you're not going to win unless you pick a different tournament time, right? Let's just be honest. We get to change things by how we vote, by what we spend our money on, by how we show up to stuff. And so I've seen time and time again families say, well, my kid's passion is soccer or football or tennis or whatever. But then, they, you know, it's just a bummer that, you know, one quarter out of every semester— So half the year they're not in church because they're traveling around and then they grow up to be teenagers and college students and they don't have a value for church and their parents who are genuine, really godly loving people are going, what happened? My kid doesn't want to go. And I'm thinking, you know what? It actually started when they were five or six. It actually started by you deciding that the local church wasn't actually the most important thing. I'm not saying that this isn't like a spanking kind of thing. I just want to share with you what God's put on my heart. Right? This isn't a disciplined thing as much as it's an empowerment deal. Because what I want to do today is I want to share with you how I believe the church is supposed to be. We were um, having some time with our ministry team leaders this week where we were dreaming over 2018 and processing out calendar events and talking about it and whatnot. It was a really good time. And, and we spent a little bit of time talking about mission. And one of the people on our team made a comment and they said, um, you know, is our mission really the same as we're all believers? And I hadn't thought about that angle before. I thought that was really helpful and insightful. Because the truth is that as believers, we're all commissioned the same, right? We're all been given the great commission by God. And so because we've been given the great commission, I think there is a tendency to think, I already know my mission. Because Jesus said what? He, the greatest thing he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, which isn't what a lot of us churchgoers do. But that's what he said to do. And he said, and, and go and tell everybody the kingdom is at hand. But I want to say that even though we've been commissioned the same, your grander mission of your life is how you fulfill that commission. Okay, so we all have a unique bent on life that actually is how we're going to express that great commission in the earth. And so it is vital, it's necessary, it's important to capture what is that grander mission, right? (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Goodness. All right, so the most important thing we can do, oh, thanks. Hey, face tape, how about that? Yeah, if I even put it on my face the right way. So one of the most important things that we can do is to be yourself, because essentially that's what God's calling you to do. He wants you to fulfill the Great Commission, and he wants you to do it in a way that's natural to you. A few years ago, when we were, we had received the call, we'd said yes to the Lord to plant this church, and we had said goodbye to our former church, and we were in this sort of nebulous time in between over the summer, and God had told us, you're not allowed to do any church planting things until your house sells, and our house is on the market, so we thought, okay, And so we asked the Lord, what are we supposed to do? Do we have Sunday morning church at home with our family? Do we go somewhere else? Do we go to one place? You know, just just asking the Lord. And we felt like God said to go visit some different churches in the metro area and see what God was doing there. We're like, okay, that sounds like fun, you know. And we had little, little kids at the time. And so we, the first church that we went to was this church in Edmond that we really admired. We loved what they were doing. And we were really excited to get to be a part of it for a moment. And so we drove up to Edmond from Norman and we unpacked the kids in the car. And as we were unloading them, I heard the Lord say, you are here to see what I'm doing here. I was like, that's cool. I'm saying it a lot more profound than it felt as I'm grabbing diaper bags and, you know, chasing kids. But I felt that this, this, you know, assignment sort of speak. So we got the kids checked into the nursery, and then we were early in the sanctuary. And a side note plug to say that when people visit a church for the first time, they're usually early because they don't want to miss anything. So if you're a part of Bethel OKC and you want to help us welcome people who are here for the first time, you might consider being here at least on time. It's just a thought. So, uh, so we're sitting in this room, 
And, um, and the first song comes on, and the girl takes center stage, and she's got the cool jeans and the super cool shirt, and her hair is all amazing, and her makeup's, you know, on point. And I'm like, okay, wow, she's rocking it. And she busts out Katy Perry's Baby, You're a Firework. First song of the worship set, okay? You're, all of your eyes are exactly what I was doing in that moment. And I was like, I wish I had said this. I wish I had thought, I am your firework, God, yes. But that's not, I would, all of this just religious thought went through my mind. And I was like, in church, this song? Say what? You know, da 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 And then, and then, can I just tell you what happened? So I'm sitting there awkwardly like, do you raise your hands to baby you're a firework? And, and I'm just having a very weird experience. And I'm standing there. And then the Holy Spirit decides to fall, and I start weeping, like, loudly, okay? So to make an awkward more experience more awkward, here I am, like, <laughs> like, trying to stifle it, going, what the heck is wrong with me? And Grant looks over me, and he's like, <laughs> kind of thinking the same thing, right? And I'm going, I don't know, I don't know, but it was God. And the Lord started speaking to me, and this is what he said. He said, watch how many people are instantly their walls come down because this song is in church that would have never come and felt welcome in another church. Ooh, burn, right? And I thought, oh my gosh. And he said, this church beats with my heart for the lost. And he said, they stop at nothing to reach the lost. And, and he was just honoring the desire in their heart to connect with people who are unchurched. I don't know whether God thought that was the song to sing or not, but that wasn't the point, right? It was their heart that he was trying to show me. And so I tried to compose myself and had a great rest of the worship set, which was actually worship songs after that, and, um, and moved on. I thought, this is great. A few weeks later, we went to another church, and this church, again, we were really excited about. We knew we had friends that went there and had always wanted to visit, and so we, we showed up, and we're having a great time, and the worship gets started, and all of a sudden, it's like... <sighs> And I start sobbing again, and I think this time Grant was like, well, it's, at least it's in worship. It kind of makes sense, you know, and I am a crier. Side note to say, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, often you have a physical manifestation. Some people, it's laughter, joy. It can be peace. It can often be tears. You can feel fire on your body in some form or fashion, right? It, that, we, just, we are physical bodies trying to hold this God, and it's going to cause a reaction in you. And this is the reaction I was having was this like, <gasps> like very awkward, like, why God reaction, you know? It couldn't just be a single tear. And, um, and so I'm watching this worship, I'm experiencing this worship, and God just began to speak to me about his delight over these people's hearts and how they just want so badly to have intimacy with the Lord. Wow, Lord, that was really special. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for allowing me to feel that. And then a few weeks later, Grant really wanted to go to this one church that he thought was connected to a church in his hometown in Dallas. It turns out it wasn't. And we showed up on, you know, unfortunately a bad day for them because half their church, their church our size, and half of them were gone on a mission trip, and it takes place in a movie theater. So imagine stadium seating and about 15 people spread across this very large movie theater seat. And so there was a lot of, you know, hurdles of awkwardness happening in that room. And so the worship happens, and then they did the stand up and greet each other kind of time, which, which some churches still do. And so guess what happened? So I stand up to greet people, and the next thing I know, I'm like, no, Lord, no, no. And I'm like, <gasps> like, cry, like sobbing my eyes out. And so these sweet people are walking up several steps because it's obvious we're the new people in the room. And they're coming over to greet us, and I'm like, <laughs> and I, I felt so insecure in that moment. So I just kind of keep saying, I'm okay. I'm really okay. 
because <laughs> I don't know why I thought they would think I needed ministry or something, but I could hardly speak, and so, which is great if you need ministry and it's your first time there. I mean, go for it, right? But that wasn't what was happening, and so I'm like, it's nice to meet you, <laughs> and trying to like hide behind Grant, you know, at least like stick yourself out there so it's not as obvious. I'm, I'm weeping, and God began to speak to me. He said, this church is the most hospitable in the metro. Can I verify that? Of course not. I'm just telling you what he shared with me. And he said, this church has such a heart to welcome people exactly where they're at. So I cried my way through Oklahoma City over this next several weeks that endured. And and what was interesting was the only church of all of those, although I loved them all, the only one I would have gone back to was that awkward movie theater where I was crying in the greeting time. It's interesting. We talked about it. We're like, you know, there really wasn't much about it that connected with our hearts. but, But I felt loved and welcomed there. And it did something to me. And so when, when, when the, the season of tears was over um, and God was saying, okay, you know, no more visiting. I, I've, I've taken you everywhere I want you to go. I've shared with you what I want to share with you. He began to talk to me about how he is like a rainbow. Now I'm going to move into an analogy here that's a little bit flowery. So I'm sorry if this doesn't connect with you. I wish I had an alternate one that could maybe grab more people. But I'm just going to tell it to you like it happened to me. <clears throat> the Lord began to say, Rachel, I am like a rainbow. And I am all the colors at once. And I am yellow. And I am exuberant. And I am joyful. And I'm happy. And I love life. And I love celebration. And I'm bright. And I shine like, like yellow does. And he said, I am yellow. I thought, yes, Lord, you are yellow. And then he said, but I'm also purple. And I am royal. And I am regal. And I'm authoritative. And what I speak happens. And I command. And it is. And I am kingly. And I am the king of kings. Because I am purple. I'm like, Yes, Lord, you are purple. And he goes through every color and he says, I'm green. I'm, 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 I love nature. I love the environment. I love calmness. I love to nurture things to grow. And we could go through every color. I'm blue. I'm healing. I don't want to leave anything out because I just love God so much. But he shares with me the spectrum of a rainbow. And he said, when I look at Oklahoma City, I want to see my full self reflected back to me. And he reminded me how in Genesis 1, that's what it was all about. We were made in his image. And he gave something to Adam and he gave something to Eve because it wasn't right for him for one person to represent all of what he was. It didn't make sense. That wasn't true to who he really was. So he dispersed himself among different types of people, different colors, different heights, different races, different thinking, right? And so he said, when I look at Oklahoma City, I want to see a full, re- a full display back to me. And he said, here's the thing. There is not one church that can do everything that I do. It's not possible. He said, there's not one person who can reflect all that I am. In fact, and this is a side note, Jesus, we would say, well, Jesus, right, Jesus. But even Jesus said, it's better for me to go so that you can have the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're not getting the whole picture of God even just in me. You're getting the picture of the Father. You have to have the Holy Spirit to get the whole picture of God. So if Jesus himself was not enough to be the full reflection of everything God is, then I would dare to say you're not either, (laughs) right? I'm certainly not. But when God looks at the earth, that's what he's looking for. There's a place where he is glorified by the reflection because he is glory. Are you guys tracking with me? And I had something. I was changed. I'll just be completely honest with you. By the end of this season of tears, I was changed like I, I mean, I was never the same. My perspective of seeing people changed instantly because now it wasn't, are you doing what I think church should be like? Are you doing what I think a Christian should be like? But are you being true to who God made you to be? Because listen, if you're not being true to who God made you to be, then you're robbing God of an element of his glory that he wants to see. If I go into a mirror and my eyeball is gone in the mirror, I'm going to freak out, right? My, 
Okay, it's still on my face. Why is it not in the mirror? And I'm going to go hunt it down. What the heck is wrong with this mirror that it's got a hole? You see what I'm saying? You can, if you walk up to an image of yourself and your ear is gone, you might have a moment of panic. Okay, well, they're still on me. Why am I not seeing them in this reflection? But that's how it is with God when he looks at the world and he wants to see his glory be displayed back to him. There's, at times, there are pieces of God that are not being displayed because people haven't chosen to accept the part of God they display. Let me put it this way. If you don't take your place, what does it look like to take your place? It means owning your uniqueness. It means the way you pray, the way you think, the way you talk, the way you worship, the way you dance, the way you encourage, the way you see, the way you read, the way you hear, the way you give, the way you love, the way you teach, the way you receive. All of that is made in his image. All of it. So if you're looking at somebody else and going, well, wait a second, I don't think like you do, and that seems more spectacular to me, so something's wrong with me, you're out of bounds. Does it mean that we can't grow? No, of course not. We're always on a journey of growing and betterment, right? Some of those things that you want to grow into might be actually a part of you. You're just kind of blind to it. They might have already been within you. You just need some, you know, some trial and error to exercise that part of your heart. <clears throat> I've got four kids. You guys know that. And I look exactly like my mother. Um, some of you guys have had the privilege to meet my mom. We talk very similar. We look very similar. And it's always been the blessing and the curse of my life. And anywhere I would go in our hometown, and still to this day, I haven't lived there in, I don't know, like 18 years or something, and still people go, are you Rita Gurian's daughter? When I'm like at Subway, I'm like, yeah, that's me, you know. And uh, she had a very high-profile job, so a lot of people knew her face, and so they see me, and they go, well, you look like her. Or I'd be in a crowd with her standing at church or whatnot, and they go, well, this must be your daughter. And it's like, Guilty as charged, right? There, it's always been there. I can't, I can't, my, my brother tried to tell me one time, I love adoption. My husband's adopted. I think adoption is great, but that's what, you know, annoying children do sometimes. My brother goes, oh, you're adopted, Rachel. And he was trying to be mean. And I just looked at him and I said, I think you would be the one that would be adopted because I look exactly like her, right? Let's use some logic here. And, um, and, and that's how it was. And so there was something in my heart all my life that I wanted a kid that looked just like me. Can't explain it. Just being honest. So I get pregnant for the first time. I'm so excited. All you moms know, you give your whole body to this child. It's never the same. And all you want is like something of you. And then they come out and they look exactly like dad. And you're kind of like, well, that was cool. <laughs> right? And so I had this. And I thought, well, that's cool because it's a boy. So, that, you know, my boy can look like his dad. And, 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 uh, and especially when Eli was really little, he looked just like Grant. Everywhere we would go, the first thing everybody would say is, oh, my gosh, he's just your mini-me. So then I got pregnant with a girl, and I thought, this is my moment. And this is an internal thing. It's not something I talked about, but I felt like God was connecting it to this message, so I'm just going to bear my ridiculousness to all of you. And so I thought, this is my moment, and here I have this daughter, and she looks nothing like me. I mean, she's growing slightly into more like me, but of course her hair is strawberry blonde. She actually has more of Grant's personality than mine, and there's just so much about it where you're like, okay. I love you. I wouldn't trade you for the world, but I still want that kid in my image, and I don't know why. So then, this is not why we had four kids, but this is just, just the story. So then I get pregnant with Jack, and it's like, well, this is a boy, so, you know, sure enough, this boy isn't going to look like me, and Jack looks more like Grant than Eli does, and so you're kind of, especially when you look at Grant as a child, and you go, okay, so I gave up, and I have this subtle thing in my heart that was like, why, Lord, that was a bummer. I really... I really wanted that. I mean, three kids, that should be enough for you to give me one that bears a resemblance to me, at least not in all of my faults, which is sort of the primary thing that we can see how they're like me in. 
And, um, <laughs> and so God says to us, I want you to have one more kid. And I'm like, heck no, Lord, that is not on our plan. Remember, we talked about this. And, and God said, no, I, and I could tell you on another day all the amazing things that God spoke about grace, which I think is a, is a prophetic parallel to all people. It's not just grace. It's just his desire for all people. And so I gave, I didn't had no expectation. I just expected her to look like Grant, right? And she was born with brown hair. And I cannot explain to you what that did to my heart because I was like, oh my gosh, I have, a, I mean, I have so many pictures of her hair, not even anything else except her hair because I thought it's probably going to turn blonde. And sure enough, it has. But I'm like, before a moment, this kid was made in my image. <laughs> and she looks like me, at least more than the rest of them. And we go places and people actually say for the first time in my life, she looks like you, Rachel. And every time I just soak it in because I've been waiting for 10 years for this moment. And the Lord was reminding me of this last night as he was sharing this word with me. And he said, listen, I've been waiting for decades for some people to realize they're made in my image. He said, that thing in you that wanted a child that looked like you is the heartbeat of my life that I look at every single one of my kids because I've put something of myself in them that's not to be compared, and I'm waiting for them to own that. I'm waiting for them to reflect that back to me, to not try to hide it, to not cover it up, to not be embarrassed by it. <clears throat> Let that sink in for a second, because we are made in his image. The fact of the matter is that the enemy takes a lot of great delight in hiding the real you from you. I think it's one of his greatest enjoyments because he can see who you are because he can see in the spirit realm and so he purposely he uses things like word curses like traumatic events as a child like difficult circumstances to make you embarrassed about who you are to hide from yourself and sometimes just to blind you altogether but God is waiting for you to have that moment of revelation where you know this is me I might be a bearded lady but look out world because here I come and it sounds cheesy, but this is the heartbeat of God, right? <clears throat> In our pre-service prayer this morning, we always take on Sunday morning some time to just wait on the Lord for what God is saying. And one of the people had this, um, this prophetic word, and I was like, wow, you're, you're writing the message for me, which is great because I just started last night, so I needed some extra help. And, and the word was about Paul and Acts 9 having the scales fall from his eyes. And having that blinding moment, right? He was blinded on the road to Damascus. And then he spends three days just nurturing that experience, trying to make sense of it. And then when Ananias comes and prays for him, literal scales fell off his eyes. And I know there's a lot of interpretations that we can go off of this one verse. But when, when she was sharing this prophetic word, word this morning, I just immediately had the thought, because the enemy has blinded you. And sometimes you're so blind, you need literal scales to fall off your eyes. Sometimes we are so discouraged about who we really are that we need phys something physical to come off our eyeballs so we can see the world more clearly. Could that be what was happening with Paul? Because we know on this side of the story that he was way off course with the calling on his life, with the mission that he was called to fulfill. He was way off course, right? And so he has those scales fall from his eyes. The Lord, the scripture that God gave me for us for this morning um, is Acts 19. Verse 13 through 17, I'm going to give you a second to pull that up on your phones if that's what you want to do. I don't have a slide for it. Um, of course, I'm going to read to you out of the Amplified Bible. This is an interesting story to share. It's about the seven sons of Sceva. I've never shared something like this before, but I'm going to just tell it to you like God told it to me last night. Because um, <clears throat> I do believe there's other interpretations that you can have off of this uh, story. 
But this is happening in Ephesus. And Ephesus was, uh, from my perspective, one of the greatest places of revival that happened in the first church. They grew to be um, something like 20,000 plus people in the church. They had taken over the Colosseums for their church services. And and the revelation that Paul was able to give to the Ephesian church in, in the book of Ephesians was superior to some of the other revelation because they had their foundation set. And it's a really powerful thing. And so here God, here this is Paul in Ephesus. Okay, are you guys ready? I'm actually going to start in verse 11, sorry. And it says, God was doing extraordinary and unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or face towels or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. I want to pause there and make a note of something. Paul was actually working. And I felt like the Lord was 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 wanting to just acknowledge for a second that some of the greatest miracles can happen in your workplace. They don't have to happen in the context of the church. And we are um, not being uh, fully aware of who God is if we expect to have to have a title of some sort of pastoral ministry, something to do unusual miracles, extraordinary and unusual miracles. All you have to do is be doing what you are called to do, and those things will flow out of you. So, verse 13, then some of the traveling Jewish exorcists, can you just imagine for a moment what that would be like? I I would really have loved to have a sit down with them of a traveling Jewish exorcist team. Anyways, side note. All right, then some of the traveling Jewish exorcists also attempted to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I implore you and solemnly command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one man named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, they were doing this. But the evil spirit retorted, I know and recognize and acknowledge Jesus, and I know about Paul, but as for you, who are you? Then the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they ran out of the house in terror, stripped, naked, and wounded. Wow. I can tell you what I felt like the Lord was showing me about this verse on one hand was that this verse has been used by the enemy to speak fear into the hearts of believers, and that is not its intention. I personally feel like what God was showing me about this story is in this moment right here. The traveling Jewish exorcist also attempted to call on the name of the Lord. What was happening here? They saw Paul doing something amazing, and they wanted to do something amazing too. But what they missed was that Paul's doing was flowing out of his mission and his calling by God. Paul wasn't trying to be like someone else. He was absolutely unapologetically himself. But these seven sons of Sceva and Sceva himself were looking and saying, I need to figure out how to do that in my life because that looks really good. That looks like God. That looks like power. So I'm going to attempt to do that. What I think is happening here in this story is that as they are, when, okay, so let me put it this way. When the demon starts to speak to him and says, I recognize and acknowledge Jesus and I know about Paul, what is he saying? This, in my opinion, this demon is saying, I recognize the calling on these two people, but I don't know you. Why? Because they were not being true to themselves. When you are being true to yourself, hear me on this. When you are being true to yourself, the enemy knows who you are. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom, a kindergarten teacher, a banker. It doesn't matter what you're doing. When you are in your spot in the kingdom and doing it with all your heart, the enemy knows your name. And what's happening here is not that the enemy was more powerful. It's that they didn't know who they were. So when he asked them, who are you, they couldn't respond. Uh, I'm trying to be like Paul. Well, okay. That's not going to work for you. What if they had said, I am Sceva. I'm a traveling Jewish exorcist. 
I've been called by God to release people from bondage. What could the story have happened? What could have happened to the story? That's not what happened. And so then the man in whom the evil spirit was in leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. So they ran out of the house in terror, stripped naked and wounded. And I felt like this is what God said. And, you know, this is an interesting interpretation. But I felt like the Lord said to me, I let them do that to show this man what the fruit of their labor was. They had been stripped to nothing because they'd given nothing of themselves. It wasn't that they were so powerful and could speak for God. It's just because they knew the right prayers to pray spreads or you know whatever that's not what was going on here they were missing a piece of their identity and that's where the battle came i want to say to you that we have attributed so many things to the enemy in spiritual warfare and could it be that you just didn't know what was inside of you i can go back to my life and some of the very dramatic and awful things that have happened to me and that i've experienced in the spirit realm with spiritual warfare and whatnot and almost all of them and i'm just leaving some room in case i'm forgetting at the moment but all that i can think of are all related because I didn't actually know who I was. And I can tell you that today I don't experience things like that. Because when the enemy tries to come, what do I do? I go, oh, wow, no, you didn't understand who I am. I don't even need you to know my name. I know my name. I know his name in me. So when you try to come at me and do something to my kids or do something to me or give me a bad dream or whatever, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's actually really funny. Yeah, it's unfortunate for you because uh, I'm very aware of who God has made me to be with my mission in life. And so you just need to learn that. It doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be. And and here's the other thing. I believe that the enemy has been using stories like this to get you so off track and be so afraid of him when all the while his biggest agenda in your life is hiding the real you from yourself. Why? Again, because if you're the real you, he has to leave. Because there's an element of the glory of God that only comes when you are being true to yourself. But you'd be saying to me, but Rachel, I mean, this sounds too simple. It can't be that if I just embrace who I am, if I, you know, if I like um, the Victorian era and I like to, to dress like them and, and, you know, drink tea out of teacups, that if I do that and love that about myself, I'm displaying the glory of God. That can't be true. That's just too simple say to you that Jesus himself says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so when our yoke is hard and our burden is heavy, could it be that you're taking somebody else's? Could it be that you're doing what the sons did, looking at Paul and going, well, that seems spectacular. I should do that. I think we would all say Paul wasn't really going for that at the beginning, right? But it was who he was. It was who God called him to be. And so for him to not do that and be that, then he is missing it. By robbing God of his glory, by breaking his heart. So what were the observations from this story? Paul was just being Paul. And Sceva wanted to be Paul. He didn't want to be Sceva. Which is unfortunate. Because I have a feeling Sceva was a pretty spectacular guy in God's eyes your life to travel around and try to help people with bodies and there's something in God that's that's missing again the demon didn't know who they were because they were pretending to be somebody else God allowed them to be stripped because they needed to go back to the basics of their identity this story is not to show you how powerful the devil is or to exalt his power at all this story is to show you how important your mission is this story is here to show you how important it is for you to be doing your job to be doing it with all of your heart. 
feel, I know that we all have a part to play in our community. I think that, especially in the age of the internet, one of the things that's happened is we start to look and go, well, those type of people get promoted. Those type of people get celebrated. But I'm not like that. I'm an intercessor. My greatest moments with God are by myself in my prayer closet praying. And so we look back and we go, something must be wrong because I don't have those giftings. But listen, guys, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are faithful to your intercessory call, you will change the world probably way more than someone whose calling is exhorting and teaching, right? I can tell you for my life, let me put it this way. If this church exists so that Grant and I can fulfill our calling, then we're totally off this church exists so that you guys can fulfill your calling, so that you guys can be empowered to do the very thing that God has put inside of you to walk in. For Bethel OKC to be what God wants it to be, we need you to participate. We need you to be engaged and to do what you do and to do it unapologetically, to be willing to say, I am a closet intercessor, and by golly, that is powerful. Right next to somebody who's seeing, you know, Paul, unusual miracles and whatever that said and that, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. I should do that. And to have the strength to go, that is really cool. And I honor you to do that. And I'm going to be over here praying my guts out because this is where the fire of God falls in my life. And somebody else is over here and say, you know what? When I give you a hug, you better expect heaven to come down around you because I am called to be a nurturer. And that is the most powerful thing I can do. And wow, look at you, Paul. You're going off doing unusual and extraordinary miracles. And that's awesome. And wow, look at that intercessor. And that's awesome. But man, when I give you a hug, the fire of God falls, right? And as we go through our different spots, and we're unapologetic about that, and we don't, and we don't minimize that, and we don't try to hide it, and we say, this is the real me, let me just tell you what's going to happen. The kingdom of God is going to explode. Because there are people like you waiting for you to show them how to be you. And let's go back to the rainbow analogy. Let's just say, like, like okay, a lot of us in the room are red, okay? We're fiery people. We, we burn bright. We are intense, some of us are maybe a little too intense at times, thinking about myself in particular, right? And, and in the redness of red, there is a myriad, infinite colors of what red can be. Just look at a crayon box. I mean, you know, God bless the crayon makers who are so creative to continue to come up with different names of the same color, but they do because they added a drop of purple this time, and so now it's violet red, but then this one has a drop of yellow, so it's cherry red, and then this one's tomato red, and this one's blood red, and this one's, you know, and it's all different, you know, Nile red because this is what it looked like when the blood hit the water in the Nile, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, that's interesting, but that is what the kingdom is like because we categorize together like red, but then in the redness, we are all our own. So for you to stand up and say, you know what, man, I am green and I am green to the core and I love to be a hippie and I grow my own stuff and however you are, and I'm like, yes, you need to do that because there are other believers waiting to see what it looks like for someone to bring the kingdom of God in a green color because they feel green, but they don't know what to do about it. Or the same with the yellow people who just are the tiggers of the world and they keep bouncing up and down and they don't know why they have so much energy and they're just looking for someone else to show them what to do with all this energy, right? And if they go over to somebody who's purple and authoritative and commanding and they're like, how do I live my life? And the purple one says, oh, you do it like this. And the tigger walks away going, I feel so confused because I can't stop bouncing, you know, like, okay, so they're trying to be, you know, commanding and authoritative and, and regal, but they're not. They're always yellow underneath. Are you guys catching what I'm saying? So to be you is the most important things that you can do, the most important thing. 
And discovering your grander mission. I keep calling it your grander mission because that's essentially what it is. You've been appointed to things for different seasons. You've been commissioned by God in the Great Commission to do what we're all called to do as a church. But there's something else that you've been called to. It's a grander mission of your life. And it doesn't take shape in a season, in a job, in a, in a time frame. It takes shape over the arc. Why? Because it's just your essence. I know that sounds weird. I remember in my life moments where God was prodding me to go after the things that I'm like, to invest in my hobbies. Well, how could that be spiritual? Because when I'm doing the things that I love, I connect with God like no other way. When we take time to invest in ourselves, to honor ourselves, what are we doing? We're not saying, I'm so great, I'm spectacular. We're saying, God, look at the uniqueness that you put within my life. I have no problem standing up before you and saying, I'm an amazing person. I actually love who I am. Actually, I wake up in the morning, I haven't thought about being someone else in I don't know how long. It's been a long time, several years. I wake up in the morning and I think every thought that comes to my mind that I'm something else that I shouldn't be, I take it captive because I am me and that's all I can be. And it's not all I can be like as a sad, you know, that's all I can be because I really wanted to be a, a jockey, but I'm too tall, right? No, I seem like it because horse jockeys are short. Okay, <laughs> little hidden nugget for you. But I stand up and I go, I am everything that I am. Why would I for a second allow myself to feel bad about myself? That would be condemnation. Do I get convicted? Heck yes, I do. I have plenty of moments where the Holy Spirit goes, hey, you know, hey, this needs some improvement. Okay, Lord, you got it, right? So I'm not saying I'm like the total package. What I'm saying is that I love myself. Can you say that about you? Because when you can say that about yourself, when you've accepted who you are, when you're being with God, and that's the best place that you can be when you're unapologetic about all of that, this light begins to shine that starts ripple affecting the world around you. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me, and some of you guys in this room too, and said things like, you know, I I never considered how much I could appreciate myself until I knew you. Was that my agenda? No, it's just because I'm being myself. One lady put it this way. She said, it's like when I watch you, especially when I watch you preach, it's like you're floating across the room. I was like, well, that's cool (laughs) and really interesting, right? But what she was saying was there's a lightness that happens when I'm around you that I feel. Why? Because the burden that she had put on herself of her expectations begins to lift. I'm going to share one more thing with you, and then we're going to transition. In the book, in the path book, one of the things that she talks about is this exercise where you go through the expectations of, of your life, where you acknowledge that everybody in your life, especially in your formative years, had expectations on you. You're going to be older when you get married. You're going to be younger when you get married, like the things that I think are the best for your life, right? Mom, dad, siblings, maybe step-parents, grandparents, cousins, uncles, aunts, mentors, teachers, they all have a thought for you. And she says, what if you wrote down every single one of those expectations and tried to create one life out of them? What would happen? I think you'd find that it's not livable, right? You'd look at it and you go, well, no one person can do this. I can't be a stay-at-home mom and a CEO in one lifetime. That is a very, you know, those two worlds kind of collide. I can't be all these different things in, in one person. And so what she's saying is that sometimes we go through life where we have all these expectations on us, and what it does is it buries us of who we really are. But what we need to do is filter through those expectations, give them a name, and say, which ones fit the real me? And then the ones that don't, throw them out. Because God has an agenda for your life. I know I'm hammering the same point, but I'm hammering it on purpose. 
So we, are, we have always been this, but I've been waiting for the Lord to give me permission to share this on a, a grander level of what it looks like for us here in the context of the church. Our church has always been built upon the Holy Spirit being available for everyone and everybody being a part of, of, part of it. Everybody having a part to play, everybody ministering to one another. That's essentially the heartbeat of our church. And um, at different times, we've done a more intentional job of pursuing that and releasing that. And at other times, we haven't for various reasons. But I've been feeling from the Lord for a little while now, and I knew it was going to be a part of this um, series. I just wasn't sure it was for today until last night. Um, That what I want to do is kind of talk about what does it look like when you become you. You already are you, right? But when you unveil the you and how that affects the we. And I want us to take a second to talk about what that looks like because we're going to move into some ministry time in a moment. And I want to invite you to step up to the plate. You don't have to look like me. You don't have to look like Grant. I don't want you to unless that's who you are. I want you to look like you because when you are hearing from God in that place, it is a beautiful thing. In our youth ministry days, we used to do this example to show people how there were other um, ways to see the world, and we would do something like take an object like this backpack, and we would put it in the middle of the room, and then we'd have everybody around say, tell me one thing that you see about this backpack. And somebody would say, well, I can see the, the black straps. I can see they look really padded and comfortable. And someone over here would say, it's got this really nice mesh pocket for a water bottle. And then the people on this side would say, there is this phenomenal photo of Mario, Super Mario Brothers, with all this intricacy and all these colors. And I can see all these colors, but you can't. Because from where you're looking, what you're seeing is the functionality of the straps. And what I'm seeing is the beauty of the design. And what this person is seeing is the the cleverness of being able to have not one, but two pockets for your water bottle. So you can have two different types of drink, right? And it's the same backpack. But we can't see the whole thing unless you're looking at everybody's perspective together. And so when you get to hear from me, you get to see the beauty of Super Mario. And when I get to hear from you, I get to see the beauty of functionality. Do you see what I'm saying? And so as we come together and we minister with one another and we participate in what God is doing and we say, okay, God, this is a season of us burning as a church together, of cultivating fire in our hearts, of letting your fire get into my life, of of heating up my passion for you, of doing all of those things. When we do that, we see God in a way that we can't see him if all you're doing is coming and hearing me and leaving. Because that's not who we are. Because if we're going back to the analogy I shared with you of how different churches are displaying something different of God, that's his heart. He actually enjoys that. Because he is the same God that we're all worshiping together. And so the best thing that we can do as Bethel OKC is not try to be like everybody else, but just be unapologetically who we are and how we are and stay true to the mission that God has given us as a church. The mission to teach you how to love and be loved to teach you how to pray and to worship, to change heaven and atmospheres, to equip you to be who you are and then release you to be that thing and then to go out and rescue the people who need that. That's our vision. That's what we need to be true to, right? And so we can't do that if you guys are trying to be like somebody else. We can only do that if you're being like you because God wants to put people in your path. But here's the thing. The enemy comes in and goes, that's going to be really inconvenient and really annoying because, and he gives you all these excuses, right? When God's going, well, it doesn't have to be inconvenient and annoying if you're being true to yourself. How do you know the people you're not going to draw are going to be just like you and you're going to actually really enjoy it? Just a thought. So we're going to do a little bit of ministry time here. 
This morning in prayer, I, I felt like the Lord was saying, some of us need to have those scales fall from our eyes, right? We need to begin to see ourselves for who God really made us to be. And we need to have a breakthrough in that revelation. I believe that the Lord was saying that one of the most important tools that we can do is the gift of tongues. There's a lot of teaching I could do on the gift of tongues. I'm not going to do that right now. So if you need that, we can talk later. But essentially, the gift of tongues, the Bible says, is praying the will of God. Don't you want that in your life? I can pray, and sometimes I'm praying my own will, but other times I need to pray the will of God. And for you to have a breakthrough, sometimes what we need to do is pray what God is praying in heaven, even if our minds can't keep up with what that is. Because God knows the breakthrough that you need. You might not. The enemy might be trying to hide your real self from yourself. So I know in a lot of times we talk about we utter the word tongues in a church setting, people's walls go up. Don't do that. Why? Because we're just going to be true to ourselves, right? And it's going to flow as it's supposed to flow through you. You're not trying to become like somebody else. You're being yourself. So I don't know how many people in this room need the gift of tongues, but if you need that today, I believe there's an anointing for that this morning for you to receive that gift. A couple other words of knowledge that we had. Another word we had this morning, in our, if you want to experience this, come to pre-service prayer. 9.45, Sunday morning. Sometimes we start around 9.49, depending on how the band is doing, finishing up their, their stuff. But we pray. We pray over this morning. We ask God to come, and then we wait on the Lord, and we see what he's saying. And, you know, things happen. Last week, we had a word of knowledge about um, infirmity. Remember, we prayed over that. We prayed over different people. And this week, I heard a testimony of someone who had a night of sleep, powerful night of sleep for the first time in their life. Not in, not in their life. Sorry, I said that wrong. For the first time in a really long time, they usually have aches and pains while they're sleeping, and they didn't. They were prayed for on Sunday. They were prayed again over the course of that week. It's the same word of knowledge at work in their life. It's powerful, right? It's like the Bible coming to life, as it should be. This morning, Reese had a word about how we, we all, he felt like God was showing him how we are really good about hoping for the resurrection of Jesus to come, but are we good about hoping for the kingdom to come now? And I thought that is so in line with what we're talking about today, that as you get lit up, as you do what you, only you can do, the kingdom of God comes and people enjoy it and people stop not coming to church. They actually start coming to church because, by golly, I can have time with God by myself, but when I'm with you guys, something happens. I love to worship in my car by myself. I do. It's one of my favorite things. But when I come in this room, something comes out of me that doesn't happen in my car. Why? Because when two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. There's something about when you guys are worshiping in the way that you do that brings heaven in a flavor that I can't experience by myself because God has dispersed himself among us. So we make this a priority and we come at it and we see the kingdom come. Are you with me? Maybe it's just me that's excited. We had another word this morning about salvation and breakthrough. So I would say to you, if you don't know that the Jesus is your Lord, you need to know that today. Come grab me. Come grab anybody here. We'd all love to help you experience Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And today is a day of breakthrough, and we're going to pray for that. And i got three more words of knowledge. All right, I want you to raise your hand if you have something like this. Um, if you have a rash on the back of your knee, well, I guess you might... Yeah, just raise your hand. No shame in that. My kids have them. Rash on the back of your knee. I know we've got two of the kids in the kids' ministry that have that. We're going to pray for that in a minute. A word of knowledge about that. Another word of knowledge about a right eye. We had one already. Raise a hand for that. Anybody else have something wrong with your right eye? Maybe blurriness, maybe pain. No? All right. It's your day. Uh, Last one is stomach issues. Any digestive tract issues? Okay. All right, so we got him at home. We've got another kid that's here. Anybody else have stomach digestive issues? I know you're like, oh, don't make me have to raise my hand. But hey, what if this is your moment? And if it's not, you guys don't make it weird, right? 
Let's just be normal people. We are normal people functioning with a supernatural God. So here's what I want us to do is first we're going to pray over these words of knowledge. So if that's you, will you stand up? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then you guys, guess what? You get to do the work of the kingdom because there's something in you that can only be released through you. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to speak to these conditions because it's already on God's heart. And we're just going to tell them to leave. It's that simple. We're going to release healing. So stand up with me now that you guys have seen who it is. Keep your hand raised until you've got some people around you to pray for you. If you don't want to participate, that's okay.